Hi, I'm Dr. Pam Peek, and welcome to episode 339 of Her, the podcast where, well, you're going to hear the naked truth about her mind, her body, her life, and today, her running. What? Running for her life? Yeah, but in a really positive way. I'm going to tell you that right now. Listen, this is going to be such a special show. Just buckle up and get ready. Just also know that this episode is made possible by our wonderful friends at Smarty Pants Women's Vitamins, the delicious once-a-day gummies that contain all of the essential vitamins, minerals, and omega oils customized just for women. To learn more, Hop on over to SpartyPantsVitamins.com. And here's your first reminder to click on the iTunes after this episode to rate and review the show because I just love hearing from you. Your feedback is golden. All right. It's time for Her. Her. The podcast. The naked truth about women. Her mind. Her body. Her life. It's all about her. Folks out there, have you ever just had a, a, an opportunity in your life to really just talk with someone who you've always considered to be an icon in a field that you're just absolutely passionate about? Well, today I get to fulfill a dream of my own. As you all know, um, I am a uh, member of the Board of Trustees of the American College of Sports Medicine, I'm a lifelong uh, athlete, uh, currently uh, a senior Olympic triathlete, but boy, I've run my share of marathons. And you know, when I first began even contemplating running my first, which was the Marine Corps Marathon, kind of a great first marathon, what did I do? I looked to really, quite frankly, the leader in the field, um, Hal Higdon, uh, who wrote what I consider to be the seminal book on this, Marathon, The Ultimate Training Guide. Mine is so beaten up, it's got dog ears all over it. I probably, you know, dropped God knows what on it and back and forth. And uh, we, we literally are so honored to have you, Hal, on the Her Podcast, and I want to make certain everyone knows about your background because it's extraordinary. You began running as a student at the University of Chicago Lab School, and you ran competitively at Carleton College in Minnesota, where you won conference championships. But here's the cool thing. You competed eight times in the Olympic trials. I'm just exhausted thinking about that. And notching your best finish as fifth place in the 1960 trials in the 3,000-meter steeplechase. Oh, my God. When I look at the steeplechase, I just cry. In the 1964 Boston Marathon, you placed fifth overall, and you're the first American finisher with a time of, oh my goodness gracious, 2.21.55. Now, if you take that and multiply times two, that's my time. <laughs> and so I always say Kenyan times two, and that's me. And your World Masters Championships, you know, uh, you're talking about nine minutes 18 seconds in the steeplechase set in 1975, and it's the oldest American master's records in the books. You know, you're a contributing editor for Runner's World, which is really kind of the go-to magazine, and it's longest-lasting writer, um, and you continue to write 
the author of more than three dozen books, and they all circle around the whole issue of marathons. And uh, honestly, you were given the the American Society of Journalists and Authors their Career Achievement Award, the highest honor given to writer members. And you are just uh, amazing. Could you do me a favor, Hal? Tell everyone how old you are right now. Well, I was trying to keep it a secret, Pam, but uh, the New York Times uh, blew my identity and uh, wrote an article about me on my 90th birthday, which was in June. So uh, that must make me at least 90 years old. No, just 90 years of age. I don't hear the word old in there at all. Um, Honestly, you're just an absolute inspiration. Do you still run now? What do you do now? I'm uh, more often out on a bike. It it depends because we have a second home down in Florida, and then when I'm down in Florida, we have membership in a uh, club that has an outdoor heated pool, so I do a lot more swimming running on the bottom of the pool. My wife, Rose, is uh, at an aqua aerobics class four or five days a week. I get out on my uh, bike, particularly when we're home in Indiana. Our go-to activity is to get up very early before people are rolling out of bed, hop on our bikes, and head to our favorite coffee shop, which is about two and a half miles away. And uh, it's sort of a physical and a social activity, too. Running is a little bit tougher for me. Uh, I guess it must be the steeplechaser's uh, legs that uh, struggle a little bit. But fortunately, most of the people who are listening to us right now will not have run a 3,000-meter steeplechase or will have one on their schedule uh, in in the immediate future. So I I really sort of have a, a variety of activities. I forgot to mention strength training as well. And uh, just try to stay in fun. It's a fun part of my life. Well, you know what I love about the lesson you just taught us before we really get into some other really wonderful uh, ways for people to move their body and and why just getting up and uh, assuming the vertical and and pushing it is so terribly important. You also, you know, I, I brought up your age for a reason, and that is it never ends. Um, so this is a... This is a lifelong journey and a pursuit of fitness and optimal longevity. So what you did was very, very smart. I did exactly the same thing. Uh, And that is you pivot over to a variety of activities that keep you active, that keep you fit, but may not be, you know, running at this point in time. You've kind of done your thing and your body basically is beautifully adapted now to the cycling, as well as the swimming, um, resistance training, walking, all of those things are important. And it just shows that it's an ever dynamic process. That's the most important thing. It's ever dynamic and you listen to your body. What I think you do is you need to find an activity that you enjoy doing, that it's not going to be a struggle. Find something that's fun to do and uh, that can keep you floating along. Uh, If somebody had told me when I went out for track as a sophomore in high school, that I would still be running in another 50, 60, 70 uh, years. I was said, huh, what are you talking about? But uh, somehow I just never stopped, and uh, it sort of has carried me along. I mentioned with some pride that I've outlived my father by about uh, 20 years, so uh, 
genetically. Uh, he was a gifted individual, a loving individual. Uh, but uh, I, I wish I could have taught him how to run when when he was teaching me things. And the same with uh, when my mother too. So I think uh, longevity certainly is part of it. But um, the, the more important thing is to uh, enjoy it and have a high quality of life, uh, not merely a, uh, a a length of life. And I think perhaps the message is particularly going out to uh, the large number of women who have, in, I should say, invaded our sport. Nobody would have thought when I was going out for that same track team at high school that uh, women be, would be running uh, uh, the same activity 50 years from now, and not only that, but dominating the sport. I know with the people that visit me on my Facebook page, halhegden.com, literally two out of every three are females, and I never would have predicted that either 50 or 60 years ago, and that, that's one of the plus things that's uh, uh, really happened. I've been glad to be a part of that. Yeah, and I, I think that you know, it's really interesting when you think about it. When I um, began my running, it was about, mm, I would say, 30 years ago. And uh, at that time, you know, uh, it was clearly dominated by men, clearly dominated by men. But there were more and more women showing up. I was seeing a lot more even 30 years ago. And right now, it's just crazy out there as as we look at how the demographics have really changed. So you just mentioned, you know, you've been running during your entire lifetime. Here's a question for you. How has running really impacted your health and well-being? How's it really done that? You notice the difference in in when your father passed away, and now here you are 20 years past that number. But how has it impacted your health and well-being, and how might women be inspired uh, by what you're going to say? Well, it clicks off a lot of boxes because you can look at the items that are going to make you or help you to live longer. And uh, one thing is is you don't uh, overeat. Uh, You uh, uh, maintain a healthy weight. Uh, Certainly you don't smoke cigarettes and uh, definitely do not want to have more, much more than that second glass of wine so you don't wind up wrapped around the tree. And all of these things certainly contribute to longevity uh, and that would be across the boards both for men or women, or I should say men and women, uh, but then the physical activity comes in as well. The uh, cleaning out of the arteries by the regular cardiovascular uh, uh, blessings that we impart upon our body. So in many, many respects, there are very few differences between men and women when it comes to uh, picking a sport and enjoying uh, that same sport. And, you know, I can look back in my career when the, uh, the Boston Marathon would not accept women runners, uh, in fact, even refused to recognize the few women back in the early 60s who started the running race without wearing numbers uh, on their singlets. So uh, there have been huge changes and certainly the uh, impact that females are having on our sport uh, certainly, certainly is very, very important. Excellent. Does everyone have to run to be healthy? No, I think that running is one uh, activity that can 
keep us happy, but certainly walking for many people is just as good as runner, and probably the uh, chances of injury are mm, slightly less because I don't think that many runners get injured, although it freaks out the doctors, I know, sometimes <laughs> when they, they talk about us. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, variety, again, going back and uh, being able to maintain a certain flexibility uh, and strength. Strength training is another important thing that uh, has become very, very popular, uh, uh, you know, in the recent years. When I first started lifting weights back when I was a competitive athlete, uh, I was somewhat ahead of the game back then because few runners uh, would have thought of going into a gym and picking up a pair of barbells, but now you go into a gym and, oh, my gosh, there are women in there with us too. So uh, I've just witnessed huge, huge, huge changes uh, during, during my lifetime, so many of them positive. Oh, how wonderful. Fantastic. So uh, tell us about, say someone out there is really kind of thinking about, you know, maybe starting to do a little bit of running, but they're not in the world's greatest shape, right? So uh, what I see today, for instance, is so many people who are significantly overweight or obese who really want to turn things around. And, you know, what I'm worried about always clearly are their knees, because as you know, the knees really take the brunt of it um, as you're doing the running. And if you have an extra 50 pounds on board or more, that could be a little rough. Oftentimes I tell people to start with walking, then brisk walking, and then what? What should they do? Well, just what you've told them. Uh, begin by uh, walking, and even the obese people can get out and walk for maybe 100 meters, and it'll be the beginning of a fitness uh, campaign. I've, in the times when I've uh, had appearances at races and expos, I've had numerous people who have come up to my uh, table and have uh, told me their success stories, which in many ways are greater than my setting a, 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 an American record of having lost 50, 100 incredible amounts of pounds. So you could do it as long as you go gradually and uh, also modify your diet, perhaps with the help of a registered dietitian who's going to steer you away from the wacko diets that uh, we see on the Internet all the time. So it's really a matter of uh, uh, starting slow and, and, and finishing fast. I know I have up on my uh, website, com, I have a 30-30 program for beginning runners, but also beginning walkers, where you go out and you first day you walk 30 minutes in one direction, turn around, walk 30 minutes back, but don't start running until maybe 10 minutes into the workout, uh, and then stop running five minutes before. So you you modify your training with just a little bit of running, and then gradually over the weeks and months you can add a few meters here, a few yards there, and uh, maybe a few miles and even finish a marathon. I have a lot of walkers who follow my programs uh, that are competing in uh, uh, half marathons too as much as marathons. 
Oh, I love that. Um, Brisk walking, especially. That means hello out there. Uh, Enough with the zombie walking. I mean, please, uh, let's put a little energy in it here. And that's also important because over the years, we have now emphasized high intensity interval training. And so people can do that at every level. I've done it with running and people could do it with walking, just really push it like there's like they're no tomorrow for a period of 30 to 90 seconds. And then, you know, do your moderate pace and then just push it again, whether again, you're walking or running. I think it's just so terribly important to start somewhere. I've also seen people who've gone through tremendous um, transformations once they've discovered uh, the, the the joy of actually running. Um, and, and people oftentimes ask me, well, does, and I quote, jogging count? So what is your answer to that, Hal? Yeah, well, I don't see any difference between jogging and running. Uh, some joggers... Our runners get a little bit insulting if they're told that they're doing some jogging, but basically the words are uh, the same. Uh, maybe jogging might be considered by some people a little bit slower, but uh, if you begin by starting out at a very slow pace, you're more liable to uh, finish eventually in a fast pace. And if you happen to be in a race like a half marathon, passing a lot of people uh, at the end of the run that started out faster than you did, at the beginning of the run. So basically it's just following some decent guidelines, just similar to the ones you've uh, just offered and uh, continuing to make that part of your lifestyle. Uh, And, uh, you know, sooner or later you just discover that it is you. Is it better to run with people or just go solo? Well, yes and no. I think there are both advantages to having a a group and advantages to be running on your own. I probably did most of my running on my own because it was convenient for me. If I'm going to be going out for a five or 10 mile run, I just do it from my front uh, doorstep. And, uh, but at the same time, it's also a lot of fun, maybe once or twice uh, a week and on the weekends is to get together with some of your running buddies and run in a group. There are just, uh, there are running clubs in most of the major cities connected often with running shoe stores and uh, very well-organized runs, uh, on, sometimes on the track, sometimes on the road, sometimes in the woods. So there's just so many possibilities uh, these days to, to being a runner, uh, a lot more than when I first started years and years and years ago. So I noticed these changes in people's physical activity that took place you know, during the beginning of the pandemic and all the way through, because, you know, clearly we're not out of the woods yet. But what what notable changes did you see, especially in people uh, in their physical activity as it relates to walking and running? Well, this is particularly true last year in what might be the first year of the pandemic, even more than this year, the second year of the pandemic. I happen to live on a road that fronts Lake Michigan and so uh, particularly on a weekend, I'll look out the window and the road, which is a 25 miles an hour road, uh, is just jammed with uh, walkers and uh, runners and, and cyclists. And uh, particularly last year, I just noticed a huge change in the type of people that were uh, participating in my activity. Now, this summer, I've not noticed as much of a change 
uh, it's probably about the same, but that's because I think a lot of the people who we taught to run and walk and cycle last year are still doing it. Uh, and I think, uh, I hate to f- mention the fact, but, the, you know, the pandemic certainly did create uh, a lot of new athletes, uh, uh, new runners in our sport. At the same time, unfortunately, also the, a lot of the races um, were having to, uh, to close. Uh, the Chicago Marathon, for instance, I'm very closely associated with that race, and race director Kerry Pinkowski and his wife Sue were out to visit us last weekend. And uh, the previous year, last year, uh, they had to cancel the Chicago Marathon simply because it was too dangerous to bring 45,000, 50,000 people uh, in such tight situation. This year, uh, in another, uh, several weeks from now, Kerry tells me that they will be back in business, although they've had to put a cap on the number of people running the race at 35,000. And he sort of looks forward to the following year when hope to hope to hope to hope uh, we will be back to normal again, not only in running, but all the other activities that we do in our lifetimes. You know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know what your story is with regard to when you decided to call it a day, you know, with the whole, you know, issue of, of you know, marathons per se. It's interesting. My last marathon was 2012. It was Boston. And uh, I had keynoted the American Medical Athletic Association's meeting the day before. They always meet the day before the run. So that's a, a Sunday for the the presentation and the meeting. And then Monday, obviously, is the run. And uh, believe it or not, that was, number one, the hottest Boston in history. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm glad I'm part camel. And that's how I got through. The first time in history they ever allowed people to defer to the next year uh, because it, uh, for some bizarre reason, just that one day of the whole week was going to be a little crazy with the weather. So about, my gosh, I think they started with 29,000 and, you know, at least 6,000 deferred to the next year. Uh, And then I was out there with all the other camels you know, it was an extraordinary experience and the nicest people on the planet. I bring up all of this because for my last marathon, it was absolutely uh, beyond memorable. Uh, you know, how they hang out on the sides and these wonderful uh, people in Boston um, giving you ice. I was putting ice in my hat and allowed, letting it drip down my face because by the time I hit Brookline, it was 90 degrees. And you, you know, you really shouldn't be running when it's that hot. But, you know, they asked all of us to slow down. Why did I also bring this up? Because it was the year before the bomb that went off in Boston. Right. So I'm a mid-packer. I'm nothing like you, you know, certainly with, with your past history of incredible speed and all the rest of it. But I'm a mid-packer. And I decided, oh, heck. You know, um, I'm just going to go ahead and do it no matter how hot it is because, I, you know, the heat really doesn't bother me that much. Right. Um, and thank heavens because the bomb went off during the mid-packers uh, coming by. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I sat with that for a long, long time because I had a number of friends who ran in that one particular race, which was really kind of interesting. But it was right after that that I pivoted to the triathlon. And like you, you know, I love to swim. 
and I'm a master swimmer, so I just sort of went and did that. It's very healthy, great total body workout. Um, and you know, there's a, there is a run involved in, you know, um, in a, in a cycling and, you know, uh, I feel very good. It seems like cross training to me. And I was ready at that time to kind of call it a day with marathon per se. When was it for you? I'm, I'm curious to know what your story was. Well, for my 60th birthday, and I wrote an article in Runner's World about it, I decided to do six marathons in six weeks. It was a totally stupid idea, but I did it anyway. <laughs> and um, But actually, I did enjoy the ability to uh, be at a bunch of different races. Uh, and then for my 70th birthday, I decided to, a little bit smarter, do 70 marathons, but in seven months instead of seven weeks, and in the middle, meantime, also raise uh, over $700,000 for a charity, which I, I beat by a couple hundred thousand. And um, on the seventh race, I didn't realize it at the time, it was uh, Disney World in 2002, I believe it was. Uh, so that was my 111th marathon, three ones, one, one, one. And that seemed like a good time to maybe uh, slow down a bit. I can't say that I immediately pivoted into cycling or back into triathloning because that was uh, what what we sometimes call my midlife triathlon crisis. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just a matter of different activities. Yeah. And uh, I enjoyed the triathlon. Um, and I, I have to remember uh, one particular triathlon I did in Indiana, uh, finishing at Purdue University, and um, I remember, and my, 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 I'm a very slow swimmer, and so my wife tells me that, uh, you know, nobody is slower than I was. But I got about halfway into the bike ride doing pretty well in that sport, and all of a sudden this guy came flying by me uh, much, much faster on the bike than I was. And what astounded me about it was not how great a cyclist uh, he was, but how bad a swimmer he must have been to have gotten out of the 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 river before uh, left behind me, <laughs> no. but anyway, I went on had a decent run, and I think I might have even won my age category. But uh, I think the triathlon was a, a fun sport because it got you involved in a uh, a couple of different activities. Uh, I was good enough in it, so I did qualify for Ironman, but I never did get around to uh, racing it. In the book of regrets, I'm sort of sorry that I, I never did get to that specific race, but uh, maybe in another lifetime. I don't know. You know, between you and me, I'm going to share my little bias. I'm like, eh, I don't know about the Ironman. You, you really, it, it wrecks your body. I mean, let's just be serious. <laughs> it really does. I mean, you know, my favorite distance is the Olympic. You know, that's completely doable. I love it. You know, it's a 10K. I mean, um, and the swim is very reasonable and the and the cycling is reasonable. It's like 50 miles or whatever. And um, I just think that, you know, you could train for that, stay quite healthy and not wreck your body. You know, there comes a time in your life when you have to kind of say now, now, you know, it's like a really magnificent car, but even magnificent cars get a little beat up here. So let's just you know, stay with the program. I like the way you've done this, this whole kind of Well, you know, the other thing is, is that I've got a couple of triathlon training programs up on my website, halhigdon.com, and the first would be Triathlon One, uh, 
which is not even aimed at a race. It's just aimed at getting yourself in good physical shape doing three different sports. And then uh, Triathlon 2, which is aimed at people who are going to do a, the kind you said, an Olympic-level triathlon. But I didn't want to add another one for longer distances because I didn't think I was qualified to tell triathlons how to train. I'm better off passing the ball over to the very the good people who know the sport better than I do, and particularly the technical activities of bicycling. But again, it gets back to try to pick a, a sport and activity that that you enjoy. And uh, you know, I, I certainly think the nice thing about the triathlon is it has taken a number of runners and gotten them into a couple of activities that they might have avoided if they hadn't been uh, pushed a little by people like you and me. Yeah. So, all right. I know for a natural fact that in my large listening audience, there's somebody out there, a whole bunch of people, quite frankly, who are saying, okay, how do I sign up? How do I work with someone like you? So tell us about the app. Tell us about your website. Tell us about how someone works with your program. Well, let's go back in history a while because I mentioned my friendship with Carrie Pinkowski, the director of the Chicago Marathon. So back in the 90s, Kerry uh, pulled me into his office and said he wanted to create some training programs for people who are planning to run the Chicago Marathon, particularly the ones living in Chicago. And so with his direction, I put together programs for novice, intermediate, and advanced runners, and they proved very, very popular. And then several Years after that, we took them online into the Internet so that people can not merely buy a book by me, but rather go into the uh, Internet and for free they'd be able to get a training program uh, for the marathon and then added the half-marathon programs and 10K programs and just a variety and just made it easier and easier for people to get good advice. Uh, They didn't have to be uh, part of a... Uh, a team, a uh, college team. They didn't have to be part of a, uh, a club even. They could come, go online and find me, and I would guide them uh, into a marathon. So I think there's been an explosion of information, most of it good, a, few, a little bit of it bad, uh, in terms of helping people run races at varied distances and more or less inspiring because I think inspiration probably is one of the most important factors in terms of getting success, and we can get success at, at, at every level, whether two, three, four, five, six hours for a marathon. And uh, we went from there, and now uh, at the point where the science of, of, of training has taken over, I have a, an app, a Run With Hal app, that uh, basically tells people exactly what to do. So it uh, sort of picks up all the lessons that I learned over decades of being involved with uh, the running sport and transports them to the newest person on the block who's going to take up the sport. I love it. Okay. And, and, you know, is your book still out there? Oh my gosh. You know, I mean, how many editions has this sucker <laughs> gone through? Marathon, the ultimate training guide. So, so tell us what someone can expect from the book. Basically, it takes you at that first step training step and takes you all the way to the finish line of the marathon and even beyond because I have a mile 27 which talks about recovery after the race so just basically everything you need to know 
to run 26.2 or even 13.1 miles. So it's been sort of lucky to uh, to have what over the years has become a bestseller. I believe the first edition was published in Night by Rodale, which is the publishers of Runner's World back then in 1993, and we followed up with a second, third, fourth, and fifth edition, almost each one of them totally uh, different, uh, uh, differently read, written, because I was learning as I was going. I had done a little bit of coaching of uh, my son, Kevin, to help him qualify for the Olympic trials, and then I got involved in coaching some high school boys and girls in cross-country and in track, so every uh, year went back, I got a little bit smarter and was able to basically uh, first get involved with, as I mentioned, uh, helping the Chicago area runners train and then eventually training people uh, online. I just happened to be in the right place at the the right time with the right amount of information that people needed. I love it. I, I absolutely love it. So I want everyone out there to keep in mind that what they want to do is run on over to Hal Higdon. I'm going to spell that H-A-L-H-I-G-D-O-N.com, Hal Higdon, and go to his website and you'll just have an absolute menu of wonderful things you could do to just get started. Uh, and, And mention that they're free too. Yeah, it's free. You know, it's absolutely Everything free. Everything on the website is free. <laughs> absolutely. And really, honestly, it's Hal's gift to the world. You know, uh, there's nothing like a, a lifetime of experience to be able to share with others. You know, um, and really, in doing so, you're also making a welcome you know, shout out to people who are on the, on the, le- you know, on the fence. They're like, yeah, should I, should I not? Should I, should I not? One, it's, you know, as a physician, I can tell you, it's just getting up and getting more physically active, whether it's walking or cycling, swimming, you know, running is so ridiculously important uh, to, uh, you know, establish um, a higher quality of life. So to your point, Hal, when you said it's not just about the years, but it's the quality, well, that's why we now call it health span. I don't care about, you know, this lifespan thing. If you're, if you're alive and you're miserable, what's the point? <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's about really being able to stay as vigorous as you can as you age, because, you know, newsflash, uh, as we're sitting here talking, we're all aging, so that's okay. That's a completely normal, wonderful progress, you know, uh, process. What we want to do is optimize that entire um, experience, and you do that by staying fit. And you chose the running place, and then you branched out to triathlon, and now at the age of ninety, you're just rocking and rolling. Um, and uh, I, I just absolutely love the fact that you are a beautiful model and um, inspiration to people, male and female out there, who, you know, want to feel continuously inspired 
uh, by words of wisdom from years and years of experience that tells you to get up and move because it's joyful, mind and body. What do you think about that? I love it. <laughs> Ready to go with it, too. And uh, pick a sport that you enjoy. We talked all this time, uh, Pam, and forgot to mention one of my favorite sports, cross-country skiing. Don't do too much of it down in Florida during the winter because the snow's not uh, <laughs> that good. But uh, I had many, many, many uh, pleasant experiences going that my daughter uh, moved to Minnesota with her husband and family, and uh, the whole family immediately embraced the weather, uh, which allowed them to uh, uh, to cross country ski and 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 do a lot of things like that. So you know, pick a sport that you like, something that you enjoy, and make it your lifetime habit. You know, I'm I'm just laughing because believe it or not, that's my go-to. Um, if I'm in a snowy um, environment, I have never, you know, it's just me. I was also born and raised in San Francisco. And so, you know, it's not like I saw a lot of snow. So I had to go to Lake Tahoe, Heavenly Valley, that whole area. And you know what attracted me more than anything else was the vigorousness of uh, Nordic skiing. I absolutely love cross-country skiing. It had the traditional wood skis for quite some time, had a wax little babies, and then later on, you know, pivoted over to the more modern skis. It's such a phenomenal way to be able to use your entire body, let alone your mind. So I'm I'm loving the fact that you like it too. Hey, snowshoeing's pretty cool too, you know. Um that That's another item too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, you know, I also have the uh bragging rights of saying I was probably the only athlete who ever showed up at the Boston Marathon with a pair of cross country skis in my bag because my wife and I had we were working on a, a book uh, tracing her family history to uh, uh, Italy is almost a second subject, but during the winter of the one year, we went through Norway where I skied the Norwegian Birkebeiner and then down to Italy for about a month, and I had my cross-country skis with me uh, both in Norway, Italy, and then the Boston Marathon was coming, so that's right. I got off the plane and picked up my bag of skis and headed to the Lenox Hotel, but uh, didn't get a chance to use them in, in, in the race that year. I love it, man. You know what I what you're hearing out there in in the Herb Podcast Land. Seriously, is uh, is an extraordinary individual, um, an icon in our field, who has just kept it going all of his life, and it, it's not like you ever stop. You just keep moving, no matter what it is. And uh, I'm, I'm telling you, you sound phenomenal, articulate, on top of the program, rocking and rolling, fitness benefits, mind and body. And um, I want to I wanna have whatever you're having uh, to be <laughs> like you when I'm 90, because you're just absolutely an inspiration. So any last moment of like a word of wisdom to our wonderful audience before we sign off? Well, just make fitness a lifetime activity. I admire the work of the scientists uh, at the American College of Sports Medicine. I always loved to go to their meetings every year because they were the tip of the iceberg when it came to the information. But so much of good information is available now, not merely in books, but also online. Uh, 
So just encourage people to continue to inspire yourself and and uh, keep at it. I love it. Everyone, we've been talking to Hal Higdon. Run and grab his book, Marathon, The Ultimate Training Guide. And if you just want to know how to walk better and maybe just begin a running, um, even a triathlon um, adventure, please go to his website, Hal Higdon, H-A-L-H-I-G-D-O-N.com, and learn so much more. Hal, I cannot thank you enough for being on the Herb Podcast. And everyone out there, what I want you to do is just run to iTunes right now, rate and review the show, because I want to hear from you. And that's because I'm Dr. Pam Peek, host of the Herb Podcast. Follow me on Facebook at Dr. Pam Peek or Twitter at Pam Peek MD and the same with Instagram. Remember to catch every single episode of the Herb Podcast on iTunes or Radio MD. And you know something? It's just been such a pleasure. What a wonderful, wonderful episode. So everyone, thanks for listening today and please stay safe and stay well.